Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Nerd Alert podcast. I am joined today by uh, a regular from the the weekly podcast, Abby Mickey. Abby, welcome to, I believe, your first Nerd Alert podcast, is it? Yes, I've never been asked to be on the Nerd Alert podcast before, I think, because when it comes to tech things, I really don't know don't know anything, but I but I am a little bit more knowledgeable about the conversation that we're having today, so. Well, I don't know about that now. We've had a few good tech conversations in my time with Cyclone Tips, and it's uh, certainly an honor to have, have you on here and an honor to be hosting the podcast. So yeah, today we are talking about indoor training and specifically about why uh, someone should consider keeping up indoor training. Now that we're coming into the Northern Hemisphere summer and what tends to happen, at least from my experience, is that indoor training drops off to basically zero and we all enjoy the great outdoors and the fresh air and sunshine that we associate with summer. Um, but the question today is, should we keep up indoor training? Is there any benefits to including even just one or two indoor sessions per week uh, instead of just always opting for outdoors? And yeah, we've got a few special guests on to to sort of give us some insights into some of the, the benefits of, of choosing indoor training. But I suppose I'd like to start just by picking your brains. Do you keep up any Zwifting throughout the summer or? When I was racing, in years past, I didn't because I loved all the long rides outside and everything, but something about the indoor training that's really changed in the last two years for me is I love how you you can control so many factors of the indoor uh, indoor training that I really like that. It's very time efficient, which is also really nice. And for me, when it comes to riding on Zwift, they have like all of their built-in programs that I can, that I've been doing. So uh, intervals and stuff that makes the time go by a lot faster. So years previously, no, I would never have ridden inside when it's nice out. But as I've kind of discovered the joys of indoor training, absolutely. I, I still, it'll be like really nice outside and I'm riding Zwift and, it, and all my friends, what are you doing? And I'm like, I mean, it's all, <laughs> I get the job done. If it's long miles outside and you wanna be in the sun and like enjoy that, that that's one thing. But if you want training and you want efficient work done on the bike, then yeah, it makes sense to just stay on the trainer sometimes. I suppose that's the, the key thing here, isn't it? it? It depends on what the target is for that day. And if the target is, I guess, socializing or coffee spin or, or a group ride or something like that, then, you know, undoubtedly we're not going to swap swap those for, for indoor sessions. But as you say, if you're targeting, you know, an interval session or something specific, uh, that that's where I find, you know, great benefit of, of choosing the indoor trainer. I do struggle with it as the, <laughs> the climate uh, improves here in Ireland. Uh, not going to lie about that. But I think if I have something specific to focus on I'm, I'm much more likely to to hop on the indoor trainer just because of that specificity that you can achieve and getting getting uh, sessions done you know to plan uh, whereas outdoors you might have a lot more interruptions or if you're stuck for time especially you know where, where I live you kind of spend half the time going downhill uh, which means you know half your half your training sessions effectively freewheeling but have you I know for me in the past it's really any time that I've been forced onto the indoor trainer that I've noticed huge benefits. Have you ever like had that experience where if I think back, I think it was the winter of 2010, sound like an old man here now talking about way back when, <laughs> but the, the winter of 2010, we had a very severe winter here and you just couldn't train outdoors for like two months on, you know, and, and I was forced on the indoor trainer then. 
and then later that summer i broke my wrist and my elbow in a crash and again i was forced into trainer and and after both those stints on the trainer uh i came back into racing and i seemed to be at another level uh and you know at the time i didn't really think much about it but looking back now perhaps there was there was something in that did you ever have an experience like that where you were forced onto the endor no but i had multiple winters where i would switch off between i think two winters in a row when i was racing i stayed in colorado where the winters are pretty severe so you you have to ride the trainer there's no such thing as going outside unless you're snow biking um and then there was an also a winter where I spent the entire winter in Arizona so I could ride outside. And actually, I was way fitter in the spring on those winters that I was stuck on the trainer than I was that that one year that I that I did outside. And I think for the exact reason that you're you said about going downhill, it's just there's a lot more time spent on the bike, but it's a lot less efficient. Mm-hmm. And I suppose if we um if we think about being forced onto the trainer, we we were all sort of forced onto the trainer this time last year, as you know, lockdowns and that were, um, you know, it's a, we we had all the the COVID nineteen lockdowns that, you know, I think as uh, Wift was probably the only the only thing to do well out of this time last year. So you know, we we all got onto the turbo trainer and 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 spent a lot of a lot of time there, even even the pros, and there was a lot of sort of questions around you know when the season did recommence we've seen the speeds were so high and especially at the Tour de France the level seemed to be higher again and a lot of questions were well is this because everybody's racing like it's the last day of racing of the year or is this because there's been some shift and was that perhaps due to riders spent having spent so much time on the under trainer and we've seen riders you know of of either an older generation or a a certain sort of uh, mentality who maybe didn't engage and engage with indoor training quite as much and they seemed to struggle last year and that that question cropped up there and um i suppose that you know it, it well we can actually chat to dave bailey head of performance at bahrain victorious now and i asked him you know is indoor training having learned the lessons that we learned last year is indoor training now making up a bigger part of a world tour riders training plan and and our world tour coaches sort of prescribing more indoor training sessions even if you know the rider can choose outdoors or if the weather's fine or if there is no lockdowns or, or whatever are they still using indoor training for for targeting certain training stimulus i mean i think the answer would have been yes right because there are things that you can do outside that you can't do inside but similarly there's efforts that you're doing outside on the road that you can do them outside but they're way more effective effective if you do them inside in a controlled environment yeah totally that that's what i would have uh guessed as well and i think yeah well if myself as a coach my philosophy is you know that you shouldn't really overthink anything keep it sort of keep it sort of simple and if you think about road racing it's it's so you know there, there's very little structure about it it's um you know the 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 effort and the intensity and the the uh the way that a race plant pans out will differ every time even if you have the same race you know in the same stage in the same course six days in a row it could be completely different uh demands on on every stage and that's why i sort of don't get too worried about you know if if the interval is supposed to be five minutes and it turns out to be four minutes 50 or five minutes and 10 seconds you know i don't get overly hung up in that some athletes do um but you know at the same time and i'll just contradict myself here there is something something nice about being able to do if it's five times five minutes you can do five times exactly five minutes on the indoor trainer with no interruptions 
uh, you can set at your exact target pace and 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 you know just effectively knock out knock out the interval and and that you know that certainly does offer a, a level of specificity that that you can't achieve outdoors and you know there there I assume there must be some sort of a you know benefits that that come from from that as well. I wonder if there would be a difference in when you're training, and I don't know if this is an old school method at this point, because the way that riders train has really adapted every single year, you know how you start out your season kind of with a base fitness, and then you build on top of that kind of in a pyramid. I wonder if you were to kind of restrict your training to the trainer, and this is why it's important to maybe have both outdoor and indoor, if you would lack that base longevity. I. Uh- Yes and no, I guess, uh, and I, I believe, you know, it really depends on on the athlete. If if the athlete has you know a huge um, training history and has you know years upon years of that traditional base training, hours upon hours built up over the winter, I don't really think that's going to go away. And and that was it's actually something I was sort of I wouldn't say worried about, but certainly was thinking about when my Everesting prep and that. You know, the longest spin I got was five hours, and I only did one five-hour spin. Um, and the event was going to be, you know, at least seven seven hours. Uh, well, six hours forty, but you know, it was going to be it was going it was going to be a, a lot. <laughs> Brushes off shoulders. <laughs> it was going to be a lot longer than five hours anyway. But you know, on on the day there was no issues around endurance there, and I think that's as you touched on there. You know, uh, training training styles have have sort of changed in recent years and we understand now that you know if you can there's there's quite a lot of other things that uh that will determine a, a rider's stamina or, or endurance capabilities than just getting out and, and riding long hours so uh, myself personally i was forced onto the the trainer quite a bit this winter i actually started the year with a bit of a new year's resolution i tried to do a, a zwift annuary where i tried to do every day in january on zwift i failed I got a I got a good way into January. I think if you include the week between Christmas and and New Year's, which I also spent on Zwift, I, I probably did get a full month uh, every day on on Zwift. Um, and and I think that you know, yes, you're not getting the same time on the bike, but you know, what 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 modern indoor training offers is the opportunity to extend your sessions much much further. Whereas in the past. I would have been maxed out at 45 minutes or 60 minutes. Um, now you can get right up to three or four hours without really thinking too much about it. You can kind of get sucked into the game and and end up getting you know four hours done without thinking about it. And that that's four hours, you know, more or less always on the power. Um, very little freewheeling, as I mentioned earlier, and and that you know is gonna is gonna play a big part in, in a rider's endurance as well. So. Unless you ride to the top of uh, the top of the mountain at Swift and then turn around and then just walk away for like ten minutes and it goes all the way down the hill. <laughs> yeah, I, I did that actually quite a bit. Where I always finished at the top of Alpes as well, Alpes as Swift. Easy for me to say. Uh, and and Montfon too. And then just you know at the end of my session and then hop off and you get an extra twenty minutes on the clock and an extra few kilometers on Zwift without even pedaling. Exactly. Yeah. Not not sure if that's cheating or not. But. I mean they build it like that, so I would say no. But it is always really funny when you get to the bottom of the descent and your avatar stops and there's like ten other little avatars around there and they're like, and you're like <laughs> you know, you know the trick. <laughs> All waiting for their owners to come back from making coffee or something. <laughs> Uh, we get slightly off topic. Will we hear from Will we hear from Dave Billy? Yeah, let's hear. 
Dave Bailey, head coach of Bahrain Victorious, thank you for joining us today. Um, My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. Sure thing. It's a it's a it's a pleasure to have you on here, and we're gonna we're gonna talk today a bit about indoor training, and I'm just interested to hear, you know, what way teams in the world tour are now using indoor training. If anything has changed uh, based on everybody's experience in, in 2020 and being forced onto indoor training for so long. And if, in fact, there's been any uh, knock-on effects from that and, and, and how you're prescribing training going forward. So I suppose uh, the best place might be to start is as a coach and, and head coach of the team. Are you personally a fan of, of indoor riding or prescribing indoor riding for your, for your athletes? Uh, I guess, yeah, like you say, after last year and, and sort of being forced into that with many riders in the lockdown, uh, we, we kind of saw the value of it when, when you're dealing with professional cyclists, they have all day to, to go out on the road, pick a weather window. So being forced to use it made us kind of perhaps a bit late to the party compared to other users, but understand it. And uh, we don't inherently use it in a typical training week. Uh, normally, riders typically use it you know, in the winter when the weather's bad. Um, or they might do it for some specific things, whether it's rehabilitation, whether it be time trial warm-ups, or if it's just trying to do some more specifics. But we certainly learned a lot more last year. We were, like I say, some guys were training indoors because they couldn't leave their apartments. Um, we also took part in many of the virtual races that were put on during that period to substitute for the actual races that should have happened. So we we kind of saw a lot more from it. And, and I guess probably the riders in particular are less are less sensitive to it. They're more happy to do it if, if needs be. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a, an evolving technology and um, certainly makes it easier to prescribe and do the workouts rather than trying to find the roads and the climbs and things to do them on the road. So, yeah, we don't, we don't inherently use it. It's the short answer, but it's something that we're more familiar with now and probably will start to include more and more. And how do the, how do the writers feel about that, the notion that it might be included more and more? <laughs> it depends on the riders uh some guys have a uh, you know a, a resilience or a tolerance for it other guys uh i think i think Mikel lander posted a video of, of him going you know into his home training with an axe so i think that speaks speaks volumes but yeah some guys are, are more than happy to do it others they, they can't stand the sight of them personally speaking i find myself going through sort of waves of of loving the trainer and, and hating it but i know any time that i've been forced into training on the indoor trainer for any you know in the, in the past it would have generally been you know winter weather conditions but last year obviously lockdown that forced it but anytime i have to spend a, a, a long period on of indoor training i usually come out of it in really good condition and, and feeling really good on the road is there any specific gains that riders can get from indoor training that is maybe more difficult or, or not even possible to achieve on the road uh yeah for sure yeah i think that you have a lot more control over that training environment, right? So you you can be much more prescriptive. Um, you're not you know you're not cutting a, an interval two minutes short because you run out of road, or you know you, you're able to move cadence around specifically because and you're not sort of influenced with a sudden downhill or there's no traffic lights that stop you and stuff. So yeah, absolutely, there's 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 value to it. Um, trying to understand how to transition it onto the road is is is, uh, is interesting because some guys, I mean, like yourself, find that they it's beneficial. Other guys find that really affects their pedaling style and they find that they're pedaling squares afterwards. And, and perhaps that's a bit more linked to the type of home trainer they're using. But in general, um, yeah, it's it, you know it's it's really normally quality training, so that that certainly helps um, our guys. Yeah. 
And you mentioned there the type of home trainer can can maybe af- affect how some riders feel about it. Can you give any more information on that? Or yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm sure most people know that there's there's a vast array of, of products out there now from the the standard rollers, the old track rollers, which are just the three drums that you go on and, and really actually give a good cardiovascular workout because you've got high cadence and that drives heart rate up, but really difficult to apply load. And then the other end of the spectrum is the smart trainers, which have which have evolved you know, significantly in the last years. And by smart means their interconnectivity with with you know things like online, swift and virtual platforms, or even just you know standard software to drive the home trainer, or even the riders on bike computer. So those those have really been designed to try and, and make it a little bit more um, relevant, a bit more like the road. Take the wheel out of the bike, so you've got wheel noise, and then and then they normally have a flywheel in it to try and stimulate the inertial load from riding on the road. Uh, but it's quite challenging to do because I think to get that really accurately, you need a really big flywheel and things will be pretty heavy. But yeah, those things are what we have and use and and. Uh, I think riders are more happy to jump on that than the old school wheel in or, or, or steel rollers. Mm-hmm. And with all those gains as well, I suppose it's it's getting easier and easier to actually spend time on, on a trainer. As you said, riders are more receptive to the idea. Is there sort of an upper limit though of, of what might be useful in an indoor trainer? I know in the past, I would have always been advised that rather than doing three hours in the trainer, split it into two 90-minute sessions. But you know, is, is there any scientific reason for doing that or is it just okay to spend three hours on the road as you would do, or I three hours on the trainer <laughs> as you would do on the road? That crazy you are, I guess. I think <laughs> that the, the boredom factor is pretty high on an indoor trainer. You know, a lot of people go out uh, on the road to, you know, so get out and, and, and experience the real world rather than be stuck in their basement or wherever their pain cave is. Um, I guess that my philosophy is around performance demands, right? So it's what you're training for. And if you're training for a you know a 40-kilometer time trial or a 10-mile time trial versus a you know a five-hour one-day classic, yeah, I mean that should really answer in itself. So if you're trying to be specific about your preparation, then you need to have the hours on the road, and it's much easier to do that mentally on the road than it is to be stuck indoors. But having said that, I know people that are able to do you know in excess of three hours on the home trainer. So. Um, it all comes down to an individual preference. Like I said earlier, you can perhaps be a little bit more controlled in understanding the, the load and the efforts on, on the home trainer versus going out on the road. It's normally a bit more of a controlled environment as well. It's not, you know, fluctuating temperature a lot or windy and stuff. But at the end of the day, the guys race on the road. So it's kind of a given that it would make sense they trained on the road. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's sort of a balancing act then or, or sort of a, a complementing each other rather than focusing on, on one or the other? Yeah, I think a, a time trial is to be an interesting one because they often do very structured training and it might be much easier for them, even if they live in you know one of these European training areas like Northern Italy or Spain or, or Southern France, it might be easier for them to do the workouts um, on home trainer. Uh, you know, for example, guys that live in Monaco, it's not much flat around there and where it is flat, there's a lot of traffic. So I know that a lot of guys will do their efforts on a home trainer because it's they can get the work done that, that their coaches set them. So yeah, it, it can be beneficial for the riders that are a bit more traditional, the one-day classics riders, perhaps the stage racers. They they're probably a bit more adverse to it, but but maybe you know when we try to replicate some of the demands of those races, the home trainer can can have a place. And is there uh, any riders actually using it to sort of replicate racing conditions in that? For the likes of Milan San Remo, I guess the first six hours are 
you know, fairly controlled. They could maybe do a long spin on the road and then follow it up with a short intensive ride immediately afterwards on the indoor. Does that happen? Yeah, actually, that's something that we kind of stumbled across really for guys living in in Northern Europe where the weather wasn't super in the winter and, and they didn't want to do the intervals outside, you know, because it's one thing to ride wrapped up warm. It's much harder to be doing the intervals in winter kit and everything. So they would come home at the end of that ride, maybe three or four hours and then do the intervals on the home trainers. So then we sort of realised actually that's quite specific work for, for like you described, those one-day classics or, the, or most races where the selection or the effort comes at the end where fatigue resistance is important. So... You know, perhaps through happenstance, we sort of discovered that's that's perhaps a, a useful thing to do. You know, you've got to understand that the intervals are under fatigue, so the guys aren't going to be able to deliver the same powers if they did in the first hour of a training ride. But it is more specific, like you say, to the to the one day races or the all the stages with the final climb and things. Interesting, yeah. And you just mentioned there, you know, being in the last hour, the the, the riders aren't going to hit the same wattages as they would do if they were fresh out the door but is there also something to be considered there for you know, even if you are fresh on a turbo trainer do would you adjust intensities or wattage targets down compared to outdoors yeah that's, that's a great question and, and i think it's generally accepted that you would reduce them by anything from 10 to 20 watts um i think you know if you wanted to be really really on it you would do a you know a test on the home trainer and a test outside and set your training zones accordingly but an easy solution on average you see that people are 10 to 20 watts lower on the home trainer just because of the the nature of the the road feel or the the way the force is being applied through each revolution so yeah absolutely you would you would account for that it's uh sort of i think every rider inherently feels that only that they just can't do the same power indoors and perhaps that's why there's been a certain reluctance to to really for riders to really oh, yeah, exactly. yeah. if you're if you're suffering away on your own and you can't get on top of that that gear or that power you know it's, it's much different on the, on the road you know there's there's an end point and that's what's also interesting you know we, we set a lot of training to time intervals which obviously ties in quite nicely with indoor training but on the road sometimes you know you, a climb isn't exactly 15 minutes long or 20 minutes long so you you know it's it's, it's perhaps there's a little more distraction stimulation on the road outside versus being indoors as well which which takes their mind off it when they are pushing numbers mm-hmm. variety the space of life isn't that what they say exactly exactly well uh, that's all been uh, super interesting thank you for for shedding some light on on how indoor training has been has been used at, at the world tour level i think uh, it's probably something that we'll see more and more of in, in the coming years as as trainers continue to evolve as the platforms continue to evolve and i suppose as as they both evolve and people get more interested there'll be more studies done on on the effects of indoor training too yeah for sure yeah i think yeah it's, it's a real there's a real market for it now isn't there in in, in the recreational sub elite riders and with all the virtual environments you can kind of join it's uh, it's only going to lead to a, an evolution in the technology that, that that kind of backs that up so i think we'll be uh, We'll be seeing more and more of it in the future for sure. Well, thank you for your thank you for your time and um, we'll leave it at that. Jonathan Lee of Trainer Road is a level two certified cycling coach. He's a mountain bike racer. He's also the host of the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast and he has a passion for all things training. I asked Jonathan if Trainer Road can point to anything in the data they see that suggests indoor workouts provide greater performance and fitness gains.
So, Jonathan Lee, thank you for, for joining us today on the, on the Nerd Alert podcast. Uh, you're from Trainer Road, of course. Uh, I want to start off with just a bit of a clarification and something I've learned over the last couple of weeks, and that Trainer Road is not an indoor training platform like I thought it was. It's actually just a training platform that a lot of people choose to use indoors, but can be used indoors or outdoors. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say so. Our main focus is just making cyclists faster, right? So whether they do that inside or outside, it's entirely up to them and they can do that, you know, and push their workouts inside or outside. But, uh, we've started in the indoor space and the outdoor side of things is something that's, I guess, you know, it's, it's a little over a year old now, but still a relatively new addition to us. But there's, there's, um, I think really getting to the topic of today, there's just a lot of benefits that still exist, unique benefits with indoor training. Yeah, and that, that's, that's what we're here to talk about today is just uh, if everything else is equal, is there an actual performance benefit or a fitness benefit from choosing indoor sessions over, over outdoors? And I suppose Trainer Road sees a lot of data, tracks a lot of training files and, and athlete progress. Is there anything that Training Road sees that points you know directly to a performance or fitness gain from choosing indoor training over outdoor? Yeah. So we see a handful of things. Uh, number one, I think if you look at it in terms of like quality inside versus outside, a lot of people just don't have the circumstances to be able to hit their workouts with precision when they are outside. Uh, that, that's hard. If you live in a city or if you live in an area where you don't have long sustained climbs or long flat roads, whatever it may be, and you have stoplights or constant undulations, it makes it really tough to be able to get in the quality work. So what we see when, when athletes are, are following a plan with precision inside, really the main thing that happens is a more specific outcome happens when an athlete is more specific and adhering to their goals and prescriptions, right? So when you are less specific in that approach, you just can't guarantee a specific outcome. So when you take that training outside, that's where things get tough, just because it's hard to be able to hold that same level of specificity, you know? And, and to be honest, it probably doesn't matter if you held that for 422 seconds instead of 425 seconds, right? Uh, we're, we're not taught in the grand scheme of things, it's probably a, a, probably a small effect. But when that adds up and compounds over the course of a training plan that a person is doing, you know, for two months, three months, up to six months, whatever it may be, then it does start to have an effect for sure. So it, you, it allows that really high level of adherence that is just hard to get when you're riding outside. Not impossible, but just hard to get. Yeah, and that's what I find myself as well, is that choosing indoors just makes the consistency aspect of your training so much so much easier to, to achieve. And quite often it's consistency that that uh, that creates the biggest results. But when I when I do get a block of indoor training, you know, for whatever reason, weather enforced or lockdown enforced or whatever reason, I always feel so much better than when I get outdoors and you know trainer road is you know you look at the science of of training is there anything to suggest an actual improved physiological response from training indoors compared to doing the same session outdoors yeah i'd have to look at it but that see the tough part with that is isolating all of the variables um in a dream world we'd just be able to say like yeah like you know plus 1.2 percent or whatever you know whether it's minus whatever it might be but the, the tricky part is because of athletes having varying goals and varying circumstances, it's really hard to isolate that data in a responsible manner and be like, here it is. 
uh, we always face that that um, issue of basically what we'll do is we'll look at something and we'll run a query in the database and we'll look at data points and we'll be like, sure, it looks clear. And then we always have a large system of checks and balances with different people here at the company. And they'll ask, did you control for this X, Y, Z? And we run through the whole list and it's like, got most of them, but not those points. And then when you start to go into those, you're like, we should also control for this and also control for this. So it's cool because we have that data to do it. Um, the one thing I can say is that consistency, like you said, when an athlete can follow a plan with consistency, they get faster. And I know that doesn't sound astounding, but a lot of the time we spend our energy looking for the, the ideal training methodology or ideal training plan, some sort of like, you know, silver bullet approach, so to speak, that's going to be the perfect match when really perfect training is somewhat of a myth. You know, you're, you may have a plan, but an application, it always gets changed, but consistency is what really matters. And what we can show with data across the board is the athletes that are more consistent get greater FTP increases across the board. It's consistency always brings that about. And something interesting that you mentioned there with indoor training, when you have your bike on the trainer ready to go, and you don't have to put on all of your kit that you're doing, you don't have to go through the process of finding the routes that you need to do anything like that. All of those things are barriers to entry or like barriers between you and getting your workout done. And when you can remove those barriers, even just having your bottles already ready in the fridge, having your kit hung up and clean, like all the small things, but just having your bike there and being able to do your workout, that makes it a lot easier for most people to be able to be consistent with their training plans. So yeah, to your point, indoor training can be so helpful with consistency because it's quick, it's easy, it's so condensed as well. You can get in such high quality work in such a short period of time. You can really get a lot of bang for your buck too, instead of spending more time. Um, so it enables consistency and consistency across the board does make people faster. And we see that in the data. And actually a good, good point you touched on there, just buying for your buck in, in terms of time. You know, the old saying that I used to always live by was if you did one hour on the trainer, it was worth two hours on the road. Um, mm. And that might have been born out of the fact that it was just so difficult to do much more than an hour on a turbo trainer when we only had blank <laughs> walls to stare at or, or DVDs that you couldn't really see and you couldn't really hear, but you pretended that it was entertaining you while you're trying to do your session. Nowadays, it's so easy to get on a turbo trainer and do four hours, you know, with a with a whole host of variety of uh, platforms and entertainment that we can use to to help the time just just literally just fly by. Is is it a case of more time on the trainer results in more uh, improvements in fitness, and is there any chance that you can overdo it? Yeah. And I think that brings up a good point because there are two constraints that usually bind a person's ability to train and it's available training time. Sure. But then it's also the stress they can handle. So like, you know, you could say uh, like a, a regular topic of conversation is brought up that if people, you know, spend more time like within the sweet spot zone, right. They can get a lot of adaptations with less time. Um, but you also can't do 12 and a half hours of sweet spot work in a week, right? <laughs> you would just be completely exhausted and you wouldn't get faster. So there is a, a balance that has to be struck. That said, I, I think that a lot of the time indoor training is seen as isolated to a specific intensity for different athletes. Like a lot of athletes are like, yeah, indoor training. That's what I do when I do my Z1, Z1 spins or another person. That's what I do when I do my really high intensity work, or I do my TT work because then I can be really focused. 
But I think that that in and of itself is, is excessively limiting. Athletes can execute whatever sort of work they need to within that context of indoor training. So wrapping back to your point, that allows a person to follow a plan that is really precise to them. So that means that, you know, if they need to do one hour of threshold work that week, or they need to do 30 minutes of VO2, whatever it is. And they also need to do, you know, one to two hours of zone one, whatever it might be, they're able to do it. Um, so yeah, you can get more bang for your buck, but this kind of wraps back to our whole focus is we're just structure over everything, whatever your context is. We just want you to have structure. And if you're training indoors, but you're not following structure, we feel like you're leaving a lot on the table and the marrying of the two with indoor training and structure is just so, um, helpful, effective, and easy to be able to bring together. So it's, it's something that we see a lot of athletes, they end up getting in higher quality work. And once again, more consistent, once they start using indoor training for all of their stuff that they do. And I sort of feel myself as well with, you know, with training becoming more and more prescriptive now and with, uh, more writers, not only using power, but having such a high level understanding of how to train with, with power that, um, that the training programs are becoming, you know, very uh, precise in, in, in their prescription and, and the targeted stimulus that, that they're looking for. Do you sort of, or does Trainer Road envisage a, a space in the future where that athletes will turn to indoor for all that structured work? Because, you, you know, there's no denying it. You can be so much more specific with your, your structured training on a turbo trainer when you have no interruptions. And then you're almost only going outside to, you know, keep your bike handling skills sharp or just to get a bit of fresh air on a recovery spin. And it's almost flipped from doing your zone one spins on the turbo to you only do zone one spins outdoors. Do you, do you ever see that happening? Yeah, we're seeing it. And it's funny because uh, triathletes have been doing that for a really long time and cyclists have made fun of them for it. Right. Like, <laughs> and, uh, but now we're starting to realize the benefits are across the board because we're all humans and we're all athletes. Right. So yeah, we, we've seen that, uh, across the board. It just makes it easier for people to be able to do the work that really matters. And then, you know, there, there's also a value to that, that when you get all your structure on the bike done inside, then that allows the outside riding to just be outside riding. So I, I'm a mountain biker first and foremost, but I do a lot of training and racing on the road too, but I, I don't love riding awesome single track and trying to fit in my VO two intervals or threshold intervals. Right. Uh, not only is that a great way to ruin a fun trail, right. <laughs> but it's also, uh, potentially dangerous to others. It certainly isn't courteous to others, right. When you're on the trail and you're like, Hey, I'm in the middle of a VO two interval, please watch out. You can't do that. So I really do think that there's a benefit to being able to a psychological benefit to having all of your structure done inside. So you can get outside and you can just go ride, like ride with your friends. And there's no, well, I've got to get in this work. So I have to sacrifice the social component of this ride or I'm, you know, psychologically, I really just need a spin and I need to just go out in nature and enjoy that. But I've got to fit in the work that I have to do too, because I haven't done my structure. So this is like more and more we're seeing with, and there, we have all, um, we talk to a lot of athletes that, that use our service and do this. We call them the successful athletes that we interview and we talk to them and almost all of them, it's a common thread. They fit in as much structure as they can into their inside riding. So then they let their outside riding, allow them to work on technique, enjoy riding the bike, work on skills, work on race strategy with group rides, whatever it might be. It's that marrying of, of indoor and outdoor allowing 
structure to live within that indoor environment as much as possible. So then outdoor, you can get all the other aspects to performance that are absolutely key because you can't just do intervals and raise your power to this level and then expect to win races. You know, there are other aspects to performance as well. So, but man, what a great, great pair, right? Uh, indoor and structure. It just allows everything else to be able to shine and thrive like it needs to. Mm-hmm. And yeah, definitely. As you said, there's, there's more to wanting a bike race than, uh, having the, it's, it's not a fitness test. It's not who has the highest FTP or watch per kilo. It's, it's so much more. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I agree with you that the indoor training can, uh, give you that platform to really work on the engine and then mm. you can complement it with, uh, as I would call it, just general or, or fun rides outdoors where you're, you know, keeping the, uh, especially in the, this day and age, keeping the sort of the mental health aspect of it all topped up as well, because, you know, we all know bike, bike riding is just so, so, so good for that. So um, if we can just sort of touch on the opposite side of it, though, is there any potential side effects to too much indoor training? Is there anything I'm going to lose? Pedal efficiency? Uh, obviously, if I'm constantly locked into trainer, maybe bike handling, any, anything else there? Yeah, there's a few things actually, I think that exist. And and that's one of the reasons that we have like the outside workouts thing. And, and personally speaking, I'm, I'm very spoiled that I live at the base of a couple of climbs that are, you know, one of them's an hour long and one of them is 40 minutes long. So I'm really lucky. And then we have flat roads okay. too, that you we sure can ride without lucky? interruption. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. Good point. Um, so I do a lot of my training outside actually for some of the reasons that, that I want to touch on right now that you just brought up. So uh, first of all, there, there is something to be said that, you know, if you're constantly riding in erg mode. Um, and you have, you know, your big chain ring up front and your little cog in the back, uh, smart trainers are really good at, at emulating the inertia that you experience. And while this is like a cherry on top, um, in terms of a small tweak to what you're actually doing, uh, if you get outside and you're mountain bike racing and all of your climbs are done at a really low speed and low inertia, it's going to feel a bit different when suddenly you're having to apply force differently at every degree along the pedal stroke, so to speak. Whereas if you're spinning in your biggest cog up front or biggest chain ring up front, smallest cog in the rear, you have a lot of inertia with that smart trainer. So it's kind of like a different feel to when you are putting out 200 Watts, right? So 200 Watts may not feel the same when you have different inertia. So that's something that we see athletes mention like, Oh man, I got outside and when I was climbing on that really long, steep climb, I noticed that it felt really different. 200 Watts felt tougher. So that's one thing that we tell people is try to pick the gear. That's going to most closely emulate the decisive moments of whatever race you're preparing for. Right. And try to stick around there, but also vary it, you know, get used to putting out 200 Watts at different intense or different inertia levels. And that'll really help. So that's one thing also. Yeah. If you're it's, it can, if your bike is perfectly stable all the time for all of your training, and you aren't being disciplined in how you're actually pedaling and holding yourself on the bike, totally, you can build bad habits. But I guess the same could be said also for outside riding. Like you could also build bad habits that way. But having a static bike can allow people to build worse uh, habits there. But one of the big ones that I think of is, and it's twofold. So firstly, it's it's ambient conditions. So usually when, a, and this is like the evolution of like the, the evolution of man, you know, from, from, from primate up to man, we see people start indoor training and they're like, oh my gosh, it's so hot. I'm sweating everywhere. And then they realize, oh, I need to get a fan. And then they realize, oh, I should cool off my room. And then they start to do these things where they realize, oh, wow, I can do way more power when I cool off the room. Right. And that's great and awesome. But if you're going to go race in Mexico and you have a really hot and humid race that you have to do, and you've been used to riding in 60 degrees with fans all over you, 
that's going to be problematic, right? So you have to think about that. Now, the benefit of indoors, you can kind of emulate a lot of conditions you'd face by using heaters or not using those fans or doing any number of things like that. Then the final part is nutrition. And I don't know why this exists, but a lot of athletes think that, oh, it's just an indoor ride. So they don't need to eat and drink as much. It's really common. And we see it across the board with everybody that starts. And then usually as their FTP increases, they forget. And they're like, I'm not like seeing the same improvements. And we're like, well, are you eating the same? They're like, well, yeah, it's just an indoor ride, <laughs> but you have to eat more. And, and if you think about it, if anything, you should be eating and drinking even more indoors in many cases, uh, because you're probably sweating a lot. Uh, you're also doing really high, uh, like quality work. So probably doing higher amount of intensity for a shorter or more compact period of time. So it's extremely important that you're fueling your workouts, right? So if you just train indoors and just do that, yeah, you can be totally unfamiliar with the demands of handling your bike outside in variable circumstances, unfamiliar with riding in a group. Uh, you can also fall into the traps that we just mentioned of not, you know, being just used to putting out power in the specific way you do on your smart trainer or dealing with ambient conditions that aren't relative or dealing with nutrition, you know, constraints that aren't, you know, that shouldn't be applying to you as an athlete. So those are dangers that we see athletes definitely experience when they just do everything inside. They aren't necessary dangers. You can absolutely adjust for those. And we recommend that athletes intermingle and do their workouts inside and outside when possible to be able to make sure that they're still a balanced and successful athlete across the board. But yeah, if it's too much and it's not, you know, disciplined to manage well, it totally can bite you. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose it's like, it's like anything too much of a good thing can sometimes be too much of a good thing. So sure. um, <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely on the hydration one is, is one that I can speak to and that, you know, I've always tried to focus on almost doubling the amount of hydration that I take for, for mm -hmm. indoor rides because you just have to look around you when you're finished and you, you realize that you've done a lot of sweating. So, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, very, very, very important uh, point to, to note on there. So, uh, with that, Jonathan, thank you for your, for your time today. It's, um, great to, to get an insight there from trainer roads perspective on, on indoor training. And I think it's, uh, certainly something that more and more athletes are going to not, not turn to, because most of us already are doing some amount of indoor training, but certainly utilize more and more uh, in the coming years, I think. Sure. Absolutely. I think it's something that we'll see a lot of athletes and we've seen it at the top level of the sport and the bottom level and everywhere in between. Uh, it's, it's a great tool for us to use. Interesting to hear there from, uh, from Dave that, you know, perhaps they would use indoor training more often if the riders were more receptive to it. Uh, and I guess that's a, a common theme with, you know, world tour high level athletes and that, you know, they're, yes, they are, you know, the utmost professionals and, and they want to do their, their job as best they can, but there is always a certain, you know, element of tradition that, that remains in, in the sport and, and riders, you know, that's just only natural as well, I guess, that riders like to get outdoors for, for most of their training. But I think as, you know, as we trickle down into the, the real world, as I like to call it, um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, writers like you and I and, you know, um, you know, general writers with everyday jobs and, and real world commitments to, to juggle more open to the idea of spending more time on, on the trainer. And I think that's perhaps where, you know, when we're trying to get the most out of our training, yes, we might be doing it very early in the morning and we might only have an hour to spare. And, you know, everybody since, you know, since the 
mass uptakes in power meters in recent years came about. Everybody is trying to make their training as you know as as detailed as possible, making the most of the time they have available. But you know, there's actually a few extra bits of training stimulus or extra adaptions that we can get from from training indoors that that outdoors doesn't actually doesn't offer and we could actually use that to our advantage and i put that to stephen barrett who is a coach and head of research and innovation at ag2r citron uh, and yeah i asked Stephen, you know is there any specific gains that we can get just by training indoors that we literally just cannot achieve outdoors So Stephen, uh, thank you for, for joining us today. Um, we're here to chat about indoor training and, and the benefits of it and sort of speculating as to whether it might stick around if we ever get out of lockdown or hopefully when we eventually get, get out of lockdowns and that. So I suppose you know a good place to start would be just as a coach yourself for, for AG2R Citron, do you prescribe indoor training specifically or is it just a case of you prescri- prescribe training and, and athletes decide where to do it? Yeah, like you said, Ronan, it's, it's an interesting point, and I think it's certainly one that's been highlighted or magnified in the last 12 months with, with the, the situation with lockdown and guys being, being kept indoors or training indoors a lot more. I mean, from my point of view as a coach, it's something that I would have prescribed very sporadically at very certain points in the season. I think the general consensus among the guys I coach even now is that indoor training is only for if it's too wet, too cold, too dark, or I'm injured. That's the only reason why they would go on a, on a home trainer or, or an ERC. There was never really big belief, well, if I can go outside and, and ride my bike outdoors, why would I ever train indoors? And I understand that, but me, like I said, as a coach and, and as a bit of a sports scientist, you, you try to look at, well, is there anything that this can give us additionally that outdoors doesn't give us? And it does. Um, there's probably a few, there's a few key points. Uh, I suppose one, the most common one really is you can be very, very specific in the training that you do. So if, if I have to prescribe um, a specific interval session, um, I will sometimes prescribe us that they do it indoors. And that's just more if it's if it's a key session to see whether where their product progression is in, in training. Um, and the second time as well where I would do it is if we're doing some kind of some technique work on a TT bike. So again, some as well that are, that are you know, with our team, T, you know, been on TT bike is something that guys don't spend a lot of time doing. So, you know, having a time on the indoor trainer where you can spend some time on a TT bike is also good because you can just hold in your position. You don't need to worry about um, obstacles outdoors or, or whatever. So you can focus on um, good position and, uh, and, and different head tucks. Um, but generally speaking, um, the guys I coach now would spend 99% of the time outdoors uh, just because it's preference. Yeah, well, maybe they live in the climates that permits that. Lucky them. Uh, sounds like you're certainly leaning more towards that, though. If, if you had free reign with riders and you could sort of dictate, so to speak, where they trained, you, you might lean towards more, including more indoor training. Is that because, or does it any, offer any sort of increased physiological impact or extra training stimulus just from being indoors yeah and that and, and that's probably the point that's got has kind of created the most interest recently certainly in the last 12 months i think there's been a there's been a 
a kind of a common knowledge that okay being training indoors can give you some certain additional uh, physiological benefits like i said one is that you don't free wheel so you you're spending more time on the pedals so there is a you know, there's some nice research out there by some different different guys um which look at just you you accumulate more time on the tension so you're you're cutting out all those times you're free within downhills and you're you're free within through you know, stop signs you're in you're in you're in a in a group of of guys and you're free within you're going easy, so it cuts out that so you you actually can create or you can accumulate more time on attention or more time um, in the, in in pedaling, so the general idea is was if you do what people say is if you do a three hour ride outdoors you can get the equivalent stimulus by doing an hour hour and a half indoors. Again, that's a very arbitrary number, but it's something that 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 um, kind of holds true. But the second one, which is again probably the, one of the most interesting one from my point of view, is the benefits when it comes to the increase in core temperature and increase in heat. So when you're indoors, you can much more uh, you can um, you can set or you can control temperature a lot better than being outdoors. And there's some really good, nice research to suggest that if you train you know, in a, in a hot environment, you can, there's a few things. One is that you can increase heat shock proteins, which are, um, which are beneficial to, um, to, to muscle adaptation. And the second one is also you can increase blood plasma or blood plasma volume. And what that is basically just increases, um, the plasma in your blood, which has a, has a knock on positive effect to your cardiovascular, um, your cardiovascular fitness. So those two, those two things from, uh, from, uh, a physiological point of view have been shown to be quite beneficial. Um, so to answer your question, if I had like free reign and would I prescribe it more, I certainly would at key points in the year. So to give an example, um, there's a general rule of thumb, which, which kind of seems to lead towards that, that indoor training in blocks is most effective. So blocks of five days or blocks of one week, we are doing maybe a, a one week block where you're, you're having that heat stress for one week um, and then that can that can uh, kind of especially magnify those benefits. If you're doing it every so often, you don't get the same benefit from from the heat adaptations. Um, so that's one area. And then, then like I said, then the the second area as well is that I I would plan and prescribe a lot of um, sometimes pre breakfast rides. So where guys will get up, have a cup of coffee, they jump on the home trainer, they'll do thirty minutes, forty five minutes, um, and I find that as well is just easier. To do it, and you can get a bit of a stimulus, a bit of a stimulus there as well in terms of, um, again, you deserve this. Uh, so, sort of another point is that whole pre-breakfast faster training is a beneficial. It can be beneficial um, in the right time, and uh, like I said, uh, on the home trainer, it makes that thing, it makes it makes uh, doing that a lot, a lot, a lot easier. You know. Yeah, I was always a big fan of the pre-breakfast rides myself. I don't really get as much time to do it anymore, but it's uh, I always. Yeah, just just find it work really well for me. But interestingly, say about the the positive blood plasma effects. You know, is that could that form part of a, a taper before a, a major goal for a rider now going forward? If it's just a six day block, can achieve those sort of effects? Cool, cool. Is that something you might lean 100%. towards? And that and that's exactly how how some coaches implement that. And that's exactly it. Is that in the in the kind of two weeks prior to a, a big event? And I I know there's some riders. Who live in warm climates who will do that before before key races before the Tour de France before before big big classic races where you would spend um you know a five-day period or a six-day period where you will do um some training indoors with the with the specific aim is to to create that heat adaptation 
Now, from a practical point of view, how that happens is it can be done two ways. Um, one is, is that you do your ride outdoors and then you come back home and you, you do the last hour on a home trainer, um, which is logistically a little bit easier for some guys. The second way you can do that is, is that you just split your session into two, into two uh, separate sessions in the day. You go in the morning time, you do your ride, you come back and you do another ride later on that, that evening for, for an hour, an hour and a half. Um, and that's, again, I know of quite a few riders who will do that before key, uh, key events, key races, specifically the classics and specifically also, I, I know some sprinters who do before the Tour de France. But it, I think that, that is one of the points which kind of came up you know, after the first lockdown last year, before the Tour de France, because of this general perception that the level was very, very high and, and people were asking, you know, well, what, what caused that? And it was some different hypotheses was, okay, the guys have more recovery, less travel between races, less race days. And then kind of the idea started going, well, they were doing more stuff on indoor trainers. They were doing more on Zwift. They were doing, you know, more um, almost unbeknownst to themselves, more heat training. Um, so again, it's it's a I think it's a combination of all those, but but certainly uh, again doing a block of heat training or, or a heat block as it's called uh, during that kind of taper period before a key event is is uh, really important, and even more so before races where the climate's going to be hot. So you look at example now UAE UAE tours on it's like thirty to forty degrees most most days. You've got the Olympics in Tokyo later on this year, which they're expecting temperatures to be well in excess of 30 degrees also. So again, that's where you can begin to see a real um, benefit um, of using kind of heat block training before, uh, before key events. And is there, um, is there a temperature you need to be at to get this effect? Uh, obviously no good being indoors if you've got all the windows open and it's two degrees outside. Yeah, super good point. And, and, and that's exactly it because so you can you can increase your the key thing you're looking for is not just to be hot, but to increase your core temperature. And sometimes it's very hard to figure that out. You can turn off all your fans, close your windows, put on some extra jackets and you're getting hot. So what what's out now you've just got one or two different devices you can use there's one you know from a company called green tag which is a core body temperature monitor which is a simple thing clips onto your harris strap and it gives you real-time core temperature um, analysis and that's that's something that that i've used quite a bit in the past where we can so the normal core temperature for a rider is somewhere around 36 to 37 degrees celsius so what we found is is that the key heat benefits or the key um, physiological benefits come around about 38 and above. So if you can increase your core temperature to 38 degrees Celsius or a little bit above between 38 and 39, that's where you begin to see some of the, the kind of key benefits. So there's different protocols you can do to get that. Something that, that I would do, you can do like a, a heat ramp test where you would, you know, you can monitor your, your, your core temperature. You can increase your, you know, you can uh, gradually increase your power. Um, and you can get your core temperature to 38 degrees Celsius. And with that, then you can monitor your heart rate, monitor your power. And generally speaking, what will happen is that your heart rate will stay the same, but your power will drop off because an increase in core temperature has a detrimental effect on power. And then one thing we try and do there is, through the training, is we try and um, stabilize your power or else, again, try and increase your power at certain core temperature, at certain core temperature levels. So that's the most useful way to do it. And that's, again, something that I, that I know has been implemented by a lot of World Tour teams now and a lot of um, national teams as well, certainly with preparation for, for Tokyo Olympics in, in mind. 
And I suppose that comes down to the whole internal governor theory on uh, temperature regulation and, and uh, power output and that. But one other thing I wanted to ask you about was with the likes of Zwift and now it's much easier to to do longer sessions on an under trainer. Years ago when we just stared at blank walls, you were sort of limited to an hour mentally more so than physically. Is there any danger of overdoing it with an indoor trainer? Is it easier to overtrain or for, for riders to, to push the limits too far? I think it is. And I, I think, we, you know, like you said, you know, back in our day, you know, you'd be on your, your, your wheel on home trainer in the, in the garage up to the wall and you could just about manage an hour through, through some torture. Whereas now with Zwift and, and different platforms, it's not uncommon that, that you know people can do you know three, four, five, six hours on 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 these uh, on these platforms. The way it's the way it's gone now is that if you're if you have your training plan from your coach, maybe it's 12, 15 hours a week. Um, if you try and replicate that all indoors, is it can have a detrimental effect if you because you you you. Training outdoors and indoors is not the same. If you try, if you're if you're doing five hours outdoors, doing five hours indoors is going to have a much bigger stress in the body. So if you're doing, if you're accumulating too much time or, or too much duration or intensity on the home trainer, it, it can have detrimental effects. Which I've seen, you know, again with, with Zwift and Zwift races, people can get sucked into racing every other day of the week and they get sucked into doing hours and hours and hours on the home trainer. Um, and again, if you're not matching that with recovery, with hydration, uh, it, it, it certainly can be detrimental. So it's, it's, it's knowing, it's having some good advice from a coach or somebody who can give you some advice about um, when to, to knock it off. But, but yeah, doing all your training on indoors as if it was outdoors is, is certainly not a, not a good idea because yeah, you see, you can have some, uh, some detrimental effects for sure. If we think about, you know, making up training plans the way it has been common for the last 10 years or so is to look at TSS and, and, and sort of build a training plan around that. If, if we uh, try to replicate the same 15 hours indoors, the TSS might not vary all that much. Is, it, is there other factors that you need to look towards when monitoring your training load indoors? Yeah. And I, again, that's a good point because TSS generally just looks at power, normalized power as the as the output, and it doesn't take into all your other considerations, like you said, uh, heat stress or hydration and so on and so forth. So that's when, if you're monitoring as a coach, if you're monitoring training, you, you again keeping aware of the power and heart rate, um, the ratio. So looking at how your heart rate is in, in comparison to your power. Um, does it is there a big drift in that? If there's a big big drift and your heart rate is starting to increase for the same or a, at a lower power, again you, you know that stress is, is is a lot higher. And also you can never forget the subjective feedback from the athletes. And that's something that I find probably the most valuable thing to do is is just having some comments or some feedback from your athletes. It's something that's often gotten lost in the digital era. You upload power file, heart rate, um, all these different uh, metrics, but we never actually look at what, how you feel. So it's something that I get all of my guys to do is they'll always have a comment on. And, and for me, a uh, comment on how they feel, and for me, that's the biggest, um, almost the most powerful and the most valuable of feedback you can do when you're trying to monitor somebody's, somebody's training. Because yeah, you can, if you just look at TSS, 
okay, it, it has place, but it certainly alone is is not a not a good thing just to look at in terms of in terms of planning or, or looking at uh, overall load. I suppose that could be said for both indoors and outdoors as well. It's a it's a whole variety of um, monitoring that that. Uh, produces the best results rather than focusing on one thing or other. Just just the same as it is for training. I suppose you don't just do one particular type of training. We no, and I, and I mean, that's it. Because I think a lot of people now are looking for that one thing. You know, you've got stuff like HRV and you've got you've got different uh, different other metrics that are out there as well. And, and we're looking for this one thing that's going to tell us, are you in the red zone, the green zone, the amber zone? Are you good to go? Are you not good to go? And that's, that's, that's what people are looking for. But at the end of the day, it always comes back to like I said, looking at everything as a as a as a whole, both the the objective and the, the numbers, but also the subjective. And like I said, you got stuff like training peaks and today's plan and Strava and all these different things. It's we can get sometimes a bit, we can end up drowning in our own in our own uh, data. And again, you take a step back. Per, and, paralysis by analysis. And that's that's what it is. And you know, again, as as coaches, and it's something that that I kind of quite passionate about is because there's been such a an increase in the amount of data we have available to us. But the problem is that the increase in data hasn't been matched with people understanding how to digest it and disseminate it. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, that, that to me is a big thing is, is taking out some key ones that are most useful to us, but you don't need to have your, your 50 different things you're, you're monitoring that will tell you, are you good or you're not good? You ask yourself, how do you feel? And that, and that can be almost the most uh, useful, which we, which we tend not to do because it seems too easy. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a day in the art of the communication, isn't it? But I suppose in all 50 of those new devices or, or uh, data points would be screaming, stop everything you're doing on day 19 of the Tour de France or something. So, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, exactly. And it's even some like I had, I had a few guys who were altitude camp uh, recently, you know, and, and like the purpose of training is, is to, is to cause stress because that's how you develop and you get better. So, you know, if you're monitoring oxygen saturation and HOV, whatever it is, there will be days where it says you're in the red zone, you should stop. But you should be in the red zone because we train pretty hard. So, you know, you take other, you take other precautions, you make sure your sleep is good, make sure your nutrition is good. Just because something says you're, you're not good. It uh, doesn't mean you don't need to train. So it's it's about okay, okay. My voice, I'm I'm not super good, and that's what I use with those. Is it, it puts more emphasis on what can we do to mitigate that? And like I said, sleep and nutrition are those two big ones which I will focus on with certain guys during those kind of again periods where they're under a lot of stress. Which is again, which is what we need to do to to progress and improve. You know. Well, it's uh, that's all been super interesting. I think we could sit and chat all all evening if we if we uh, decided to. So. Uh, I think uh, we've got um, an abundance of information there from you. And, and certainly it looks like more and more athletes will be turning to indoor training, regardless of, of weather or lockdown or whatever it might be had forced them previously to get on the trainer. So thank you, Stephen, for your for your time today. Oh, well, pleasure to chat on So, Abby, we heard from... Um, I heard from Stephen Barrett there uh, of AG2R Citroen about some of the heat adaptions and some of the, the benefits of, of using the indoor trainer and, you know, just becoming, I guess, a, a better athlete uh, and, you know, having 
I guess I'm becoming more efficient and, and especially better in, in hot climates and that. And, and then there's also a knock-on effect with the, the blood plasma volume that we heard about there, which I believe is kind of similar to the benefits of going to altitude without having to go to altitude. So that sounds like a, a win-win for most of us with everyday, uh, you know, the real world to, to, to cope with and, and everyday commitments. So if I think back, though, to my sort of indoor training, and I mentioned earlier about you know, times that I was forced to spend an extended period on the indoor trainer, we're talking, you know, maybe five, six weeks on end. Um, and, you know, if I think back to this past winter as well, and having to spend a lot of time on the indoor trainer, as I said earlier, I came out of those 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 times in, in really good condition. Uh, and I, you know, I put that down to a few things. There's the, um, the benefits of indoor training we all know about, you know, the fact that you don't freewheel, you're always on the power, um, and you can be much more specific but there's also if i think about the times i spend under training i was doing quite a lot of double sessions so you know a morning session and an evening session and and sometimes you know when i was full-time i was actually doing triple sessions in a day and you know there's quite a lot of benefit that comes from that and then we've heard all about you know from Stephen there about the heat adaption benefits that you can get and you know that was something that i took into the everesting preparation as well but is there anything you can point to from from your racing days that uh you know did, did you do much indoor training in your racing days and you know did you have any similar experiences i didn't really do a ton of specified indoor training when i was racing i did a lot of long hours in the winters watching old races and stuff but that was kind of before it it really became a thing to do specific intervals on the trainer instead of just you know, sitting on the trainer for three hours or so. I did have a coach that used to make me do these these training sessions on the trainer that were intervals on the trainer. And then after each interval set, you jump off the trainer, change into your running shoes and do like box jumps and stuff like that. And like explosive things and then get back on the trainer and do another inter interval session and then get back off. The that was really weird. That was weird. <laughs> and was, was that, uh, was the aim to improve your explosivity or was it like plyometrics you were doing? Or? The aim was to get better at sprinting. It, it didn't work. And <laughs> <laughs> that, and that you didn't want to sprint or your sprint didn't improve. No, at all? I still couldn't get above 900 Watts for my sprint, but you know, some people have that fast, fast twitch. You just, sometimes some people, you just can't train it, but I think it's entirely possible that my long, uh, hours on the trainer during the winters in Colorado definitely helped my fitness and helped my base fitness. And especially when it came to collegiate racing in the spring, I think it did have a huge benefit that I just didn't see probably until after the fact, but yeah, it's interesting to me that it's becoming way more normalized for, for riders to be on the trainer. And if you look at like, I know a couple girls that do the Zwift Academy that are on Canyon SRAM and their coaches still prescribe them, uh, Zwift work, like at workouts with intervals and stuff two to three times a week on top of their outdoor training, which I think, you know, when it comes to training and, and this conversation and in, in general, it's important to have balance. And so I think, you know, when it comes to training outside and training inside, there is like we've said, you know, there's key thing, key elements you can get from both sessions. And I think the melding of the two is is something that is really important in future training. That, that's a that's a very good point, actually. And that 
you know, we've we've been talking so much here about the benefits of indoor training, and it's sort of neglected to say that, yeah, at least I'm not proposing that it replaces, you know, your outdoor training entirely. It, it's it's still very much a, a balancing act, and uh, I think for most of us in the real world, it, it, the the act would be completely out of balance if um, if we did, you know, as we heard there from from one of the world tour coaches, if we did four hours on the road and then came back and started doing interval sessions on the, on the turbo trainer that might not go down too well with the with the other people in the household but uh yeah you know we're talking here about you know um adding in couple couple of sessions per week um on, on you know in addition to the training that you're doing outdoors and, and still getting all the you know social element of, of training outdoors with with the group or you know getting out for a coffee spin or um whatever it is that we enjoy doing even getting out on on trails or or whatever because you know it's 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 not just uh all about becoming a better athlete is it it's about enjoying our bikes as well yeah i mean i think that you can enjoy riding on the trainer but i think the whole point of riding a bike is you know to roll around in the outdoors with mountains and or flats or whatever whatever you you have around you so there's a balance well, Abby, this has been a lot of fun um, talking about the the benefits of indoor training. I think, I think uh, you know, it goes without saying that if we can incorporate some indoor training, you know, throughout the summer months when traditionally I think a lot of us would have dropped it off, it's going to serve us quite well. And in, in, in our in terms of our fitness, there is also obviously now the fact that it's. Uh, a lot more enjoyable to spend time on the indoor trainer we can do you know there's a whole host of training sessions available but there's also the competition end of it that that riders can get engaged in and uh you know especially in you know the the current climate travel isn't as easy as it used to be and you know quite a lot of riders are, are getting their their competitive fix by hopping on swift or other platforms and and uh you know jumping on a race you could you could almost race seven nights a week if you want the two on Zwift. I haven't tried any of the races yet, but they seem they seem quite daunting. <laughs> yes. That's one way to put them. <laughs> <laughs> you could also say they're quite tough. Yeah. Um you could also say they're impossible. Hmm. Um you could also say they're ridiculous in some <laughs> points. Well that's all we've got for this week's Nerd Alert podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, once again don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't done so already and if you have enjoyed this episode maybe let your friends on your group ride at the weekend know all about it and uh, let them or maybe not let them know about all the benefits of of indoor training if you if you want to be the strongest on the group so uh, until next week thank you for listening